Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a CBS Sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza, back with a special edition. It's that time of year, West Virginia basketball kind of percolating here on the front burner. Everybody's looking at it, trying to figure out what to think of it. We've been down this road before. We know this story. We don't know how it ends, though. So I need help. I need predictive analytics. Very popular guest back, Evan Miyakawa. You know him from E-V-A-N-M-I-Y-A.com, EvanMia.com. Evan, welcome back. I look forward to you telling the future right now. Thanks, Mike. It's it's always good to be on with you, um, and you are as knowledgeable as they come, and uh, I really enjoy talking basketball, so let's do it. All right. Well, uh, thanks by saying I'm knowledgeable, but I'm going to have to have you add to my base here. You knew a lot about what this West Virginia roster was going to be before we all did, and that's the nature of your analytics and, I said, the predictive functions, which I think a lot of people have come to find to be very valuable. Um here we are. This West Virginia team has gotten through non-conference play, I would say, pretty impressively. If you look at Kempom ratings, the net, if you still believe in RPI and Sagarin, up, 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 up. For a lot of people, it's not a surprise because it's not a great schedule, but for a lot of people, it is a surprise because things went so poorly last season. I kind of used you as a guide when they were putting together their transfer portal class because you liked a lot of players absent the public support of that. Most notably, I would say Joe Tucson. But other pieces you saw fitting and you saw that this could work out here. Um, here we are again through the non-conference things look very good. And you were right on this. What was the motivation for your optimism that has ultimately borne out to be true here? Yeah, West Virginia, their transfer class in particular, I think is the biggest storyline for me. And like you noted, uh, I I have transfer portal class rankings uh, and individual player projections on my website and a lot of coaches are using it, including people on staff at West Virginia. Um, a lot of credit, obviously, to Coach Huggins. Uh, I also talked to uh, Jay Coons, who I know you've had on this podcast previously. I talked to him a fair amount. I know that he's really plugged into my projections, as well as lots of other resources that he has available to him. Um, but really what it comes down to is when I'm trying to project impact for a player who's leaving one team and going to another team, right, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit hard to, like, just – straight up project stats you know if a guy averaged 20 points per game at a really bad school and then he's you know coming to west virginia like you can't expect that to be the same so it's pretty complicated trying to figure out like without uh, context neutral evaluations of players right and so what my transfer portal rankings do is they basically try and project um regardless of what team a player is playing for 
what is their just generic uh, value or impact that they are projected to bring to a team on the offensive end and on the defensive end? And there's a lot of different ways of measuring that. And there's a lot of factors that go into kind of that transfer transfer evaluation for each player. A lot of it has to do with, you know, individual stats, advanced uh, efficiency metrics, but as well as things like when they are on the court, how well is their team playing and adjusting for things like, uh, other teammates that they're on the floor with, as well as the like individual uh, opponent players that they were matched up with on every possession and trying to adjust for that. So a guy like Joe Toussaint is a great example of this. Um, I don't think a lot of people really thought that he was going to be like a top transfer. Um, and I think he was definitely an underrated piece for Iowa last year. And But he was ranked in my transfer portal rankings. He was ranked uh, 14th best in the country, uh, which was high for a lot of people. Um, but a lot of that was based not just on his like, you know, individual scoring ability, but just in the way that last year he really impacted and elevated Iowa's game when he was on the floor, both from a, you know, a statistical lens and the way that he facilitated the offense, but also in the way that just how well the team performed with him on the court, adjusting for all of those variables, as I mentioned before. And so then translating that to West Virginia, he was in, expected to be really good. And so far, he's been that, you know, I think it's really interesting to look at, uh, you know, minutes allocation for this team, you know, I think uh, Coach Huggins is really uh, allowing a lot of guys to play a lot of minutes and sort of figuring out what this roster is. So guys like Joe Toussaint have had an opportunity to, uh, you know, really show what he's worth. And, you know, for what it's worth right now, like, he's uh, ranked top 25 in the nation in Bayesian performance rating, which is my metric that quantifies overall player impact or value. Um, and a lot of that, you know, does come from that. There's still a heavy, you know, preseason bias or projection to that, but like he's already grown in that rating from where he was. So he's already like outperformed so far um, in terms of both his stats and his impact on team performance. He's already outperformed what was um, what he was thought to be. And if you look at West Virginia overall, they have five top 250 players in the country in this metric and four of them are transfers. Um, so that's a, a huge credit to the coaching staff for, you know, putting this roster together and already getting them to gel as well as they have. Why do you think this has worked as well as it has? Because these are not players who were really celebrated college players. A couple of it bounced around. Maybe they hadn't been in the right system. It could be that West Virginia was the right place for them. But that also means that they saw something that maybe the public or the media didn't know. But you mentioned four players, top 250 are all from the transfer portal. That's four hits, which is pretty good. Um, and that's unusual when you look at a quantity quality match like that, too. Whether it's Toussaint, Eric Stevenson, um, Trey Mitchell, Emmett Matthews, it, it's a weird amalgamation, but it did work. How do you think you can explain that, or, or do the Mountaineers explain that? Yeah, I don't think I have a full answer for that. Obviously, like it's it's hard to tell. You know, you can evaluate one single player, but knowing how an entire group of players, especially new players, is going to gel, that's difficult. But I mean, you can point to their experience. You know all of those guys are, you know, they're in their fourth year of playing at least. And so that experience, if you're bringing in a guy from another school who's had that much experience, that does count for something. And I think that is a huge part of like, if you're taking a risk, let's face it, when you're getting a transfer, especially with how many transfers there are in the portal and how many guys are getting interest from other coaching staffs, you have to move on these guys somewhat quickly. And the amount of scouting that you can do is obviously like way less than you're doing at the high school level, typically for guys that you've been recruiting for years. So there is a level of risk and you see guys who transfer and then three weeks into the season want to transfer again. It just didn't work. So when you point to things like, okay, what is going to guarantee the highest, you know, 
possible success rate for these transfers. Number one, you can look at things like the tools I offer for projecting impact that are not biased towards, you know, other people's opinions or eye tests of them. It's very, um, you know, most rankings of anything you see by journalists are all going to be somewhat groupthink. People tend, tend to, you know, think similarly. And, you know, my computer rankings are completely unbiased in that perspective. So it's a really helpful reference tool in that, in that way. But two, two, like, you know, just bringing in guys who are you know, experienced already, um, that level of maturity is always going to make a big difference. Um, and that does go into, you know, like a, a player's amount of experience does go into these transfer portal rankings uh, for players that I put out there. Um, but also it's just a good good principle in mind that you're, you're more likely to have a guy be what you think he's going to be um, and bring that maturity level when he does have experience. So I do think that's a big piece. Here with Evan Mia Cower from EvanMia.com, also a data scientist with Zealous Analytics. We'll get into that because that's pretty interesting here before we go. Stick with the Mountaineers, though. They're better. We understand that. You've kind of gotten to some of the projections that you made there, too. But you also have done some homework on this, and you you know a little bit more based on what's behind the numbers and what goes into them. Explain this to me, then, maybe without the, the transfer success as it, but where have they risen where have they succeeded this year that does explain the improvement and maybe moving forward, why there's an optimism that this is not going to crumble like it did last season. Yeah. You mentioned last season. Um, I think when we recorded a podcast last year, it was early January and they had started to already slide a little bit, but at this time last year, like the end of December, they still only had one loss and there was a lot of optimism in that team as well. I think part of the difference was that last year there was a higher expectation for that team overall in terms of where they were going to finish in the big 12 um you know looking for it tournament berth and so i think this year has been like more of a surprise partly because of all the new pieces people just haven't really known exactly what to expect from this team they started 70th in the preseason at my site and are already up to 29th you'll see them even higher in other uh, metrics like ken palm i think they're 17th part of the reason they're a little bit lower in mine is that um i always keep in a healthy amount of uh, preseason projection for a team, partly because it ends up being more predictive of future success, especially come tournament time. Whereas uh, like Ken Pomeroy, you know, he, by the time you get to February, March, there is like no uh, preseason bias uh, baked in there whatsoever, partly because, you know, the selection committee is using Ken Palm as a resume tool. And so it'd be unfair to, you know, keep those uh, preseason um, projections in there. But for me, I've found that to be more helpful in pre- predicting future team success. So maybe 29th in the country is a little bit more of a healthy uh, outlook on this team going forward than saying they're a top 20 team. Um, but when you look at how much they've improved, uh, I was just looking at this of all of the teams in terms of how much they've improved in their overall team rating at my site since the preseason, they're the eighth most improved team in the country. And they're the of all the teams that are like in the in the tournament conversation right now as an at large, they are the only team besides UConn who has improved this much. So really, really impressive what they've done. Um, and I think when you look at some of the differences from last year, I think when you looked at the the end of the year last year, they just weren't West Virginia just wasn't really good at any one thing in particular. They were outside the top sixty overall. They didn't have a top sixty offense or defense. Um, whereas this year, like their offense is just a lot better. Obviously their defense is a little bit better too, but they're top 25 in offense at my site. Um, they're fourth overall in the big 12 besides the big three of Kansas, Texas, and Baylor, you know, 
at preseason, I don't think a lot of people really had an idea of like there was a, a big mix of teams past that top three. Um, you know, and who is going to be kind of in that fourth, fifth spot? West Virginia, I think, has taken that at least for now. That's that's kind of their spot to hold. And their resume has been really impressive. They're ninth overall in the country in my like resume rank. Um, and, you know, that's without even like huge statement wins. Their best wins are over, you know, Florida, who's the top 35, UAB top 45. Um, but, you know, their losses are respectable. Purdue and Xavier, uh, nothing to scoff at at all. And they've really just handled the teams that they're supposed to handle um, really well. And you look at a win like against Florida, they won by 30 points. And they had that game handled, you know, way before the end of the game. So I'm really, you know, optimistic about what they're going to do going forward. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that they're going to, I think we're going to see a little bit of a drop off just purely because we're entering the onslaught of the big 12, but you know, anything can happen, obviously, um, you know, and there's a little bit of a PTSD potentially from West Virginia fans in terms of like, okay, well, let's wait till we get to big 12 play because last year we just got slaughtered. Uh, but this year, you know, I think there should be more optimism that they're going to, you know, be, be hold their own and be, you know, hopefully at least looking to finish 500 in the Big 12, if not better. Let's talk about um what, what comes ahead here, though, too. I think someone can look at these numbers and kind of be skeptical that, wow, a Huggins team doesn't often score this easily, this often high scoring offense right now. Conversely, they typically don't give up points in the field goal percentage or defensive rebounds. Um as often as this team does here. So maybe the offense comes back to earth a little bit. Maybe the defense gets better. And this may be hard for you to answer, but are there are there positive trends that could continue? Are there positive trends that might come back to earth? And conversely, are there things that perhaps don't work well that could get better and things that you might feel down about that might lift the team's head up later on? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind in sort of answering this question is – I think the coaching staff has given themselves a lot of flexibility in how they are going to employ lineups and players going forward. Because as I mentioned before, um, they're giving a lot of players a lot of minutes on this team and they've still been really successful. And so I think that has allowed for them to have some wiggle room in terms of like, as we get into crunch time, as we get into big 12 play towards March, when games are really mattering, it's life or death you know, who are going to be the guys that we rely on? And I think right now that's still an open question. And I think that's a good thing for this team uh, because it gives them, they're not locked into any one thing. You know, um, Emmett Matthews is the only team on the uh, player on the team who's averaging over 30 minutes per game. The rest are at or under 25 minutes per game. And so, you know, you can look at guys like, you know, I mentioned they had five top 250 players in Bayesian performance rating, which measures overall player impact and typically that's what I use as a guide for in general, who should be playing more. You've got Joe Toussaint, Trey Mitchell, Kudrian Johnson, Eric Stevenson, Emmett Matthews, all in that category. Um, and they're, you know, all getting a healthy amount of minutes, but all could be flexed more. And then you have guys who, uh, who, you know, aren't playing quite as much, but have demonstrated a lot of impact when they've been on the court. So, you know, one interesting case here is, uh, Muhammad Wagi. He, um, is, you know, one of a, the rotation players on this team, but something to keep an eye on here, really interesting trend that I'm curious to see will continue. Uh, I have an, a metric on my site for players called adjusted team offensive efficiency. So that measures when a player is on the court, how well is a team playing offensively per 100 possessions 
uh, when they're on the floor and that's adjusted for the opponent quality that they, that individual player faces when they're on their court. Um, Muhammad Wagi, when he is on the floor, he leads the entire country in this metric at 133 points per 100 possessions. So for all players who have played over 150 possessions, um, which is a, a pretty reasonable, like low mark for a filter here, he's the best in the country. And to put it another way, when he's on the floor, West Virginia is at 24 points per 100 possessions better offensively when on the, when on the court. In a 70 possession game, that translates to like 16, 17 points better offensively per game if he were to like play the entire time. That's not meant to be a predictive stat, but it is a factor into a Bayesian performance rating and certainly something to keep an eye on uh, when he's been on the court. I mean, he's shooting almost 80% from the floor. Um, so, you know, you might have guys like him who over the course of big 12 play continue to prove themselves and can get more minutes. And so this coaching staff, I think should be really excited about all the possibilities ahead of them in terms of figuring out who their, their core group of guys are. And so I'm really excited to see how this plays out for them as they head into big 12 play. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You ready for some speed round? I bounce some players off of you. You give me some thumbnails. Let's go. All right. I'm going to go a little obtuse here, though. Jose Perez. Not eligible this season, but high-scoring guard. 6'5", 19 points a game, assists, rebounds. Manhattan College, the MAC, not the Big 12, but has some experience at Marquette, Gardner-Webb. Um, we don't know, and this is kind of unfair to ask you, but... It's a it's a what might have been right now, like what might have been if you plugged him into this backcourt and this offense, which can do transition, which can score, which could use a passing guard, the you know, that's six five and get at the spots. But any feel for what he might have been or what what his fit, I don't know, could potentially still be if he does get eligible based on his past and where he's been and, and what your numbers say. Yeah. So really interesting one there. I think you can't not be excited about a player who transferred to your school after being the like conference player of the year, right? A preseason conference player of the year for that conference. Um, but I am not actually convinced uh, from an analytics perspective that he would have added that much to this team this year. Obviously you never know, but um, just at looking at what his uh, transfer portal ranking, you know, projection would have been if he were in the portal from a slightly earlier period when I was tracking this during the summer, um, he would not have evaluated that well compared to the rest of the guys that West Virginia brought in. I think he would have been uh, worse than most, if not all the players that they brought in the portal uh, this year, which is kind of surprising. Um, but, you know, he obviously like put up good numbers at Manhattan. But I think when you look at 
the quality of opposition that he was playing as well as his like individual efficiency numbers and how well he was impacting the team from a, um, you know, play by play perspective in terms of how well the team was playing. None of those things really led for my, you know, model, my analytics model for transfers to uh, think that he was going to add that much. So I actually don't think that my evaluation of West Virginia as a team would have changed that much if he were eligible this year. Um, that doesn't mean that he can't be a great piece for them going forward. Um, but I don't see that uh, from a numbers perspective, at least as being quite as big of a what if as it could have been. All right. I love it. You're not pandering, obviously. So that's a perfect answer. That's fine. You started the um, the movement last year, the Kobe tribe. Probably should have played more. Very efficient player, small doses, but productive. But Kobe Johnson back at it again. Um, and was, his numbers are maybe because of playing time are not as impressive, but he's still an important player for what they want to do. And he may have a big role now, especially without Perez and Emmett Matthews out for who we'll see how long, but he does have this going in the, in the, the right direction, the similar direction too. Yeah. I think, you know, I've always been more impressed with his defensive game and impact. And uh, you know, when you look at how West Virginia is playing while he's on the floor this year on a defensive perspective, it's definitely good. Um, I think there are questions this year though, about, uh, you know, offensively what he brings to the table. Um, right now, if you look at this season and you look at, you know, each player's, how well the team is playing when uh, offensively when they're on the floor, I'm just checking this right now. Yeah, his his on-off numbers offensively, again, we, we're still relatively early in the season and he hasn't been playing starter minutes. So there's, you know, a lot still to be determined there. But um, so far this year, West Virginia is 25 points per 100 possessions worse offensively when he's on the floor. So that's a little bit concerning. Um, and then when you look at, you know, his offensive stats, they don't necessarily jump off the page either. Um, so a lot still to be determined there. And I would love to see that improve. Uh, certainly I love him as a defensive player. Um, and analytically, that's also shown that he's um, already having a big impact for West Virginia. I think he ranks fourth in the team right now in defensive BPR. So that's kind of, you know, predicting forward how impactful each player is defensively. So he's right there with the rest of them. I think offensively is a little bit more of the question. Okay. I would imagine that the defensive reputation for Seth Wilson is not necessarily great. I'm curious about what, what the offensive performance says for him because he seems to be a volume shooter. He's going to get some shots and he's in there. He can make some threes. He's got like a funky mid-range game, but which again, on a piece of paper, doesn't look any different than a great mid-range or a great two-point game. But... And again, another player who may be in line for significant minutes at two guard here just because they didn't get Perez. What do we think about Seth Wilson? Yeah, solid piece in Wilson. Um, you know, just looking at his his profile right now on my website, he's eighth overall in BPR. So, you know, solid rotation piece there. Like you said, offensively, that's more of his, you know, game. Um, he ranks um, sixth or seventh, I think, on the team in offense. But the defense is the part that leaves more to be desired. He's last on the team in defensive BPR. And when you look at, um, you know, both his stats and how well the team's been playing, like you know, there's not really a lot to refute that there. Um, but like you said, you know, a player similar to Kobe Johnson, who has gotten some minutes, has a lot more opportunity to show more. And as I mentioned before, like they have this uh, flexibility that they can, you know, move players around, try, you know, certain players or rotations more or less going into big 12 play. So, you know, pieces like both of those, I think, you know, there's still a lot to be answered there. No conclusions um, so far in terms of, you know, which players should definitively be like the players that they are riding on the most. So I would love to see him, you know, contribute even more going forward. Okay. You mentioned the stat that I'm sure a lot of people are going to pluck and copy and present as their own right now about Muhammad Wagi. 
Jimmy Bell's their their minutes eater right now. And they had three bigs they were going to play. Who knows how often, you know, split them up into thirds, one more than the other. He's really taken over. And I don't know what we ha- what they have here. And I don't know if they knew what they have. Here's a guy who's just physically completely different. He's lost 80 pounds, Evan. Um, he can handle the minutes. And now he's figuring out how to score. Doesn't take a lot of shots. Doesn't miss many shots. Rebounding a little bit. I think he's probably part of their issue on ball screens through no fault of his own. It's just hard for him to hedge and do a lot of that stuff. But he's in line for a lot of minutes now because of the way he's performed. What can they expect there? Yeah, Jimmy Bell is an interesting one um, because, like you said, he you know has played a lot and he's been in some of their most used lineups. Um, interestingly enough, though, like when I, I was just looking at West Virginia's top uh, five-man lineups, um, and there's there's – uh, I think six of them who have been the most used uh, over 20 possessions each, including the most used lineup of uh, Bell, Johnson, Matthews, Mitchell, and Stevenson. Um, those are just listed in alphabetical order there. Um, all of the lineups that have done the best for them have been the ones with Jimmy Bell absent from it, which I find kind of interesting. Um, so that's a little bit, um, it's a trend to monitor going forward there. Um, they just haven't had any five-man lineups with him there that have been Super effective that they've run a lot. Um, the best one that he's been in has been the lineup of him, Matthews, Mitchell, Stevenson, and Toussaint. That's been a pretty good lineup, but not that play that much, just 15 possessions on the season, which, again, that's a pretty small size for for a lineup there. Um, so that'll be interesting to monitor going forward. Um, and, you know, I haven't had the chance to, like, personally watch him a bunch, so I, I can't speak to how he looks on the screen per se. Um, but you know, overall where he fits on this team right now, he's seventh on the team in BPR, but there, like I mentioned, there's a big drop between those top five, uh, players Toussaint Mitchell, Johnson, Stevenson, and Matthews, and the rest of the team, um, in terms of their like predicted impact going forward. Um, so, you know, he's kind of in that second tier of players there. Okay. One transfer I want to hit on, um, Emmett Matthews is kind of a better version of who he was before. He may be flourishing in a more advanced offensive role, Washington. Um, Trey Mitchell, out of a bad personal situation that led to his departure from Texas, closer to home, seems happy, very efficient offensive player, but he kind of came with that reputation. Eric Stevenson's the wild card, and I'm curious what you think about him because he's been in bad situations for basketball that he's talked about. Wasn't particularly happy at Wichita State, was on a bad team at um, Washington, he led the team in assists last year at South Carolina when he's probably a much better scoring option than a sister. And this just seems like Nirvana for him. Um, playing for a coach who lets him be himself. He's shooting a lot. However, in their two losses, they've been outscored by the exact amount of the points they were outscored when he was on the floor, which is a coincidence, but also perhaps telling. And I just can't figure it out about him because he's been in such a weird basketball journey. And maybe this is just right for him, but do the numbers back up what he's doing? Has he always had this capability just with bad surroundings? Is he performing above expectations? Please help me solve this riddle. Yeah. So when in my transfer portal um, projections in the off season, he was right outside the top 50 in projected transfer impact. Um, so again, a solid piece added by West Virginia. And I think largely he's uh, performed even better than expected in that regard. Uh, I think one of the most interesting pieces about him is uh, when you look at his individual stats, um, I have a metric that quantifies basically um, quantifies how um, how uh, impactful a player is um, uh, estimated to be based on just purely their individual stats. And when you look at uh, his box offensive 
Bayesian performance rating. So it's, it's a box followed by a Bayesian performance rating on either end for offense and defense. He's got the most impressive number on the entire team, which basically means if you were just looking at the, you know, individual box score stats for all the players on West Virginia, he would pop the most offensively. Um, and I think that's, you know, largely been the case there. Um, obviously leading the team in scoring at 14 points per game, shooting really well from the field over 50% overall, you know, over 45% from three, which is awesome to see. Um, so yeah, I've been really impressed with him offensively. Um, the team is playing well when he's on the floor as well. And defensively, he's been really solid too. So I'm really happy with what he's done so far. Last question here, Evan, um, preview us a little bit of what to expect, not where they're going to finish, what their record is, but you like to crunch lineup combinations and things that maybe have worked that could work some more. I believe you accurately predicted a, a, or called for a starting lineup change that ended up working out really well. Maybe you can wave that magic wand again here, but are there combinations? Is there a player? Are there lineups that you are impressed by so far or that you would have reason to expect productivity from as West Virginia enters this behemoth in the big 12. Yeah. So one interesting thing to look at on my website is I have um, this page that looks at teammate chemistry. So particularly looking at every possible uh, pair of players on team, it looks at when they're on the floor together, how much better or worse than their averages do they play both in terms of their like individual stats and how they impact overall team performance. And so when you look at the, uh, pairs of players who have the highest uh, chemistry on the team. So these are guys who, uh, when they're on the floor, they play, the team plays way better than expected, you know, based on their individual averages. The highest, uh, you know, pair there in terms of chemistry is Emmett Matthews and Trey Mitchell. When they're on the floor together, the team is outscoring opponents by almost 40 points per 100 possessions. And the good news there is that they are already playing a lot together. So, that there are a lot of, um, you know, things like that, that West Virginia is already like employing. You have a, a pair of Emmett Math Matthews and Trey Mitchell, who's already playing really well together and is being utilized a lot. So you can already start to ride that. The next pair is Trey Mitchell and Joe Toussaint, another pair that's been used quite a bit as well and has been really successful. Um, so in that sense, like last year when we were talking uh, there was a lot of, of things that needed to be fixed or at least tweaked uh, in terms of, rotations, lineups, et cetera, you know, there just wasn't a lot working for the team in mid-January last year. And, and obviously the rest of the season still was a struggle in that regard. A lot more optimism going forward because, you know, there are a lot of things that are already working for this team and that they can continue to leverage. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, a warning sign for a team is when I look in, at some of these lineup pages and see some of the worst, you know, combinations of players, whether that's two pair, two player pairs or, lineups that are being used the most and are really bad and West Virginia does not have many of those this year um, so that's a really good sign already that they're already starting to you know use players use them together figure out who works well together and what's going to make the team tick um, so in that regard there's I think um, not as much that quote needs to be fixed a lot is already working really well for this team all right I lied here's my last question you come prepared you do your homework I don't want to leave anything on your notepad that you have worked up and not presented? Do you have any wisdom nuggets left for us here? Or have you used them all in these 35 minutes? No, we've pretty much covered it. I think you, uh, you kind of, kind of know what to ask and, and we make our way through it. So I've, those are pretty much all my main points to cover. 
All right, then we'll leave with this. Um, Jalen Bridges coming to Morgantown early in Big 12 play. You are close to the Baylor program. Education there. Still keep your eye on it. What's going on with Mr. Bridges in, in Waco? Yeah, I don't necessarily know if I have an answer to that uh, per se. I think, you know. It's not bad, though. It's not bad. No, no, it's not bad. Um, You know, he uh, was a great piece for Baylor. And I think a Baylor team that lost, you know, a lot of um, pieces from last year, several first round NBA picks um, and trying to figure out how to form this team with the pieces they have alongside a prolific freshman in Keontae George. Jalen Bridges was supposed to be a piece that really fit in. And I still think uh, going forward that he's going to be a big piece for them. Um, I think despite somewhat disappointing numbers from him so far, especially in some of the bigger games that they've had, um, I still think that he's going to be a big piece for them going forward. He's still inside the top 200 in BPR in the nation. He's fourth on the team overall. Um, so, you know, I'm not really worried about him per se. Um, and like with that being said, you know, I think there's a lot of room for improvement there. Um, you know, I think offensively he's been fine. I think defensively there have been some question marks for this Baylor team, not just him, but kind of across the board in terms of, you know, their consistency on the defensive end, which in previous years has been, you know, really reliable. And I think this year, just in terms of their personnel is a little bit more of a worry. Um, and I think he's not been uh, quite as good on that end as he could be. Um, so, you know, look for that to improve, but, you know, I still think he's a really solid piece for Baylor. And if they continue to be good going forward into big 12 play, I think he should be a part of that. It's fascinating. He's five for 32 uh, as we're talking here from three point range, 24 for 33 from two point range. He's added to his game a little bit in that regard inside the arc, which he probably had to do. So player development, certainly is something he was looking for. Maybe he gets it there too. He is Evan Miyakawa, E-V-A-N-M-I-Y-A.com data analyst at zealous analytics. And of course, the purveyor of our favorite website here too, which now has a subscription level that is worth your time, worth your investment. Um, Evan, you're very modest. You were not going to say anything that you didn't want to preview, but what you told me was very exciting, what may be coming here in the future. So people should keep an eye on your website, should they not? Yeah, I guess the quick summary is that um, if you want to kind of get into all of this advanced metric stuff, quantifying player performance, looking at lineups, all that good stuff, I've got a subscription for five bucks a month um, that you can access. And I've got some stuff that I'm cooking up um, that hopefully I'll have up in the next month or so that is um, been in the works for a long time, a little bit more focused on the uh, coaching side of things in terms of things like lineup optimization and keys to victory for specific to teams and things like that. I can't necessarily speak to all of those things yet, but there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon. So you can be looking for that in the near future. You can't mistake it when you hear someone in a news conference talk about predictive analytics and not know where that came from. It comes from EvanMia.com, pioneering in his field. The transfer portal is right up your alley, too, so I'm really glad that you rode the wave at the right time here and people are taking notice. Evan, we can uh, we can start Big 12 play now. We got this in the books. We are well-versed on what to expect. Can't thank you enough for the time, and happy holidays to you. Yeah, hopefully the fact that we got this done before Big 12 play started um, is a good sign because last year I know that we tried to get this done and it didn't happen until after a few games, in, games into West Virginia's you know conference slate and we know how that turned out. So hopefully this is a, a different year for that reason. I'm sure a lot of people will be joining you in that chorus there. Until next time, I'm Mike Kazaza. That is Evan Miyakawa. We will talk to you soon.
Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.